Hey guys, welcome to the Industry Pulse with Pwn. My name is Adam Ponophobia Cogswell. You guys know the format of this already, so I'm not going to bore you with a long intro. I'm sitting here with Peter Dunn of Mad Lions. How you doing? Hi, Adam. Thank you for having me on your uh, podcast today. Yeah, I appreciate Good. it. And thanks for Till for you know getting in contact. Um, uh, you know, us in contact. You've been you know gracious enough to work with me through my problems and my work from home stuff because my real life job is preventing me from <laughs> doing a lot of things that I want to do. So, uh, but we're again we're not here to talk about me. Let's talk about you. Uh, you know, first I want to jump in and say I'm going to give you guys congratulations, Mad Lions. You know, you guys did great this year. Uh, unfortunate what happened here in the it was semifinals, right? Uh, with Fnatic, but but you know it is what it is. Uh, it's, it's very unfortunate. I mean, obviously it was a very it, it was a very strong performance from the team to three two uh, G two, but obviously it's not great to 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 lose our last two series of the of the season to end up third. But you know, if you'd offered me this at the start of the split, I would have you know did your hand off to 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 take the opportunity. But if you'd offered me this situation two weeks ago, I don't think I would have. So, so I guess <laughs> that's awesome. Tech will will settle down. Yeah. <laughs> But no, that that's phenomenal. I know that uh, a lot of it was. I know there was a lot of uh, controversy behind it. But you know what? Be, beyond what the haters want to say, you guys did. You know, did great. Came out of the, you know, came came out from nowhere, and and a lot of it has to do with I'm sure uh, between you and Matt, correct? Uh, just you know, keeping players together, really, you know, working with this new newish team. I gotta imagine it's it's inter- it's been an interesting season. It's definitely been an interesting season. I mean, Mac, Mac is also a rookie head coach, and he's brought in a lot of innovations. Like he has ideas about coaching that I've never seen uh, from another coach in working in nine years, maybe ten years of of coaching now um, in League of Legends. So that's been interesting. And a lot of these players are, are rookies who we've been tracking for two plus years. So obviously, when you're signing rookies, there's always um, a little bit of trepidation. You, you never know how they're going to perform when. But I've been. I feel like we've been very lucky to 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 have players who settled in as fast as they have. So, so I'm going to keep talking more about the kind of like the spring split before we get into you because I do want to talk about you and your you know your rise uh, to where you're at now as the head coach. But you know, starting from now and where you're ended, what were your expectations with this new team coming into the spring split? And you know, what did you you know what did you actually expect to get out of it this year? So uh, honestly, a lot of people had us as a as sort of a long shot coming into the season. Um, you know, they, they maybe predicted the general consensus was we would finish somewhere between five and eight. Uh, and, you know, honestly, I, I always thought that was very rid- ridiculous. I mean, I've been coaching for, for nine years. I've never missed playoffs in my career. Um, and like, we knew that this roster uh, had the potential to come fifth, maybe as a mid and maybe push on, depending on how, on how our players developed. Uh, Kazi, like I said, is somebody who would, from a, for for a long time, I've known who he was, who he was since he was 15. Um, uh, watching games in solo queue at the time, I was scouting. I remember one situation where I was uh, scouting Kasing, who we would bring in as our support uh, in season in season eight, and I remember him having a ridiculous showing uh, in the two v two against Kasing. And I remember thinking, who is this guy? I mean, I've got to know. Is this like <laughs> you know, forgiven Smurf or something like this? Um, and it turns out he was he was at the time just like a 15 year old, just playing playing league for fun. Uh, and ever since then, I've always kept a close track on his career, and I'm very very excited to work with him now. Um, but basically, this roster, uh, we've also we've also been a little bit fortunate. Um, I mean, you look at Shadow. Shadow is somebody who's who turned down offers in China um, because he he wanted to to stay in Europe for a little bit longer, and maybe was off a lot of people's radars coming into this split. 
Um, but again, another player that we we've, we followed for a long time, Arome, obviously coming up from the academy team, a humanoid, somebody who was with the who was with Splice last year, who was arguably our best player over the course of the year. Maybe you could give that to Kobe, but it was between him and Kobe. And obviously Kaiser, Kaiser, I would say was the was the only really big surprise. I mean, I think with everybody else, we sort of known who these players were for years, but Kaiser in 2019 was. I mean, he was the best rookie support in Europe by mm-hmm. by a significant margin, and we we were very lucky that he he chose to come to play with us. I mean, I think he's talked about in an interview about how he's turned down North America uh, to come to, to come and play with Mad Lions. So you know, he's clearly uh, he's clearly got the ambition. He, he he's not ready to retire just yet, um, but but it's it's a very it's a very good uh, group of players to work with. Yeah, of course, and you can, you can see it, uh, you know, as the season progressed and, and between, you know, how the players started playing, they meshed together. So speaking of the players and, and you know, working with this group, you know, what kind of goals did you guys have at the beginning of the season and how did those change as the season progressed? And you guys realized, you know, it, it maybe didn't realize that you were the real deal, but, you know, we are competitive. We aren't going to end five to eight. I mean, honestly, like uh, I, I think I think that this was only sort of in the last two weeks of the of the season. I mean, honestly, we preseason boot camp where we were in north america and i remember at in january we were we were getting smashed by like north american academy teams not even like nalcs teams like <laughs> na academy teams um, and at that point i was thinking oh 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 no this this experiment isn't going to work oh, no. <laughs> and at the start of the season humanoid was taking uh, i i know that for instance there's there's this idea of high, for instance, on Cloud9 being this legendary shot caller, you know, shot calling for five people, micromanaging five people on the map. And Humanoid definitely uh, in his second year had to take on some of that responsibility in the early split. Um, but come week six, come week seven, week eight, week nine, as the season began to progress uh, and other people began to have the knowledge to take on these roles uh, and let Humanoid play his more... Um, is more, uh, I guess, how would I describe Humanoid? Humanoid, if you're looking at conventional sports and like soccer, he's the kind of guy who you would have in a free role, right? You want to put mm-hmm. structure around him and you want to give him flexibility to do what he wants. He's the one providing the structure in the early season and that made him look extremely bad. I mean, basically, he, did, he looked bad at the start of the season. Um, but as the season progressed and people, be, other players began to fill in the structure, his, his, he, he, his, performance began to improve immeasurably and when we began to see this again season uh, sorry week six week seven maybe week eight that's that's when it really struck home that we could do something the plan obviously with all teams all teams will tell you this is to go to worlds um sure top three qualify top three qualify for worlds we just heard the news literally four hours ago uh right europe now gets to send four teams to worlds so it's even it's even better uh but 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 that, that was the goal right it's always three in summer this is what this is what we're hoping to put our players into, um, and yeah, it was really only come week six, week seven that we realized we may be able to do, we may be able to have an impact in in spring. Um, so, gotcha. So you spot you just talked to me about humanoid and the structure that he needs to be able to you know work his magic uh, per se. What's it like being a coach and seeing this player who is able to you know um, bolster and help his other players around you know shot calling and what it may be? Do you find that you change your coaching style a bit to help out these other players? A, a little bit. Um, it's it's actually for me humanoid humanoid's development as a human being has been fascinating to see. Uh, I mean, last year he was this cocky rookie who came in you know he believed he could beat anybody uh sometimes i've heard i've heard the comms in draft where he says pick me 
there was one particular game where we played against Schalke where he, he basically said, pick me Irelia, I'm going to kill this guy 1v1. He, <laughs> he just, uh, it was week two of the season. He'd solo killed Caps in week one. He'd solo killed, I can't remember who the other guy we played in, but I remember specifically he solo killed Caps. I mean, we lost against G2, but the solo killed, and he, he just said like, pick me Irelia blind, I'm going to I'm gonna crush this oh, guy. Wow. And then the other guy can't pick him and smashed him. And it was <laughs> awful. And we lost the game off the pick. But the point is, you know, he, he had this he had this cockiness, he had this arrogance uh, that we really, really liked about him. When we, um, I think one of the accusations that you had with Splice was maybe Splice was slightly uh, a slightly timid team uh, uh, last year and the year before. And Humanoid really, like, pushed us forward. And, you know, Splice, Splice had first choice uh, because we knew that this wanted to to leave uh, at the end of season season eight. So coming into season nine, there was a whole rookie, ro- rookie set with... Uh, I mean, lots of these players are playing in LEC still. Uh, Abadage, uh, Larson, Nemesis, Humanoid. Uh, I'm sure, am I missing anyone? No, I think it was those four. Uh, and we went straight for Humanoid um, because of this, because he had the ability to play the carries. He had the the, the assassin carries. He had the ability to play a Zeo if you wanted. Mm-hmm. Corky. Uh, and whereas if you look at somebody like Nemesis, fantastic player, right? O- on his specific champions, but not the strategic flexibility um, that... Uh, that human that humanoid had, and not not the sort of arrogance and the cockiness and the aggression, and that's what we were really looking for um, to to try to to try to get past sort of the the limits where we'd reach. Um, this season, though, I've really sort of begun to see the other side of humanoid. Humanoid is now the veteran on the team. I mean, he's it's ridiculous, you know, being in your second year of LEC, you know, still still extremely young. Uh, when he's 19 or 20 I, I better not I, I think he's actually 20 <laughs> he just turned 20 but uh, I, I really saw a humanoid if I if, if, if I, I'm pretty sure he's, he's just turned 20 now yeah um, March 14, and, 2000 so yeah 20 <laughs> yeah <laughs> to get that wrong would have been incredibly embarrassing but to see you know this 20 year old in his second year becoming sort of like this um uh, I mean, let's use a lion, since we're mad lions, let's use a Lion King reference, you know, to okay. be the Mufasa, to be the Mufasa <laughs> to like Kazi Simba, you know, uh, has been, has been, has been remarkable to see. Uh, uh, and um, he, he ways has been, has been uh, alongside, I mean, I think all the players ha- have been this, but he's, he's been, the one who's been a very important part of, of being like the emotional heart of the team. I mean, Kazi also to an extent, because you can't, you literally cannot stand around Kazi and help but smile. You know, he, he's somebody who brings joy everywhere he goes. He would be, if he was a Disney movie, you know, with all the flowers with, <laughs> with spring, awesome. until whenever he walks up. Um, but, but no, no, to, to see human switch and into this more important role to take more responsibility. Um, seeing this, this growth from a player is, has been exceptional with the split. Um, and I, I think that if you're a fan looking at the outside and you see, you know, the, 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 the broadcast has the mean that, oh, uh, Mad Lions do this, do this action. Oh, and Humanoid dies. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's mainly because he, of the micromanagement he's had to do. Uh, and hopefully, um, now that he's set expectations for his teammates, hopefully uh, we'll be, we'll should, um, develop and flourish coming into summer. I could definitely see it, and and again, I've watched you guys grow uh, throughout the season, and it's been a pretty phenomenal journey as it is, um, especially with the team that you've you know you've put together. Uh, just one one last question. This is more a question for me. You know, if you look at uh, the nationalities of everybody in your team, you know, you've got Germany, Czech Republic, uh, China, Italy, etc., Romania. Is it interesting bringing all these cultures together in t- under one house and trying to play? 
and, you for, know, for sure. Yeah, are there any, I, you know, can you tell me any, I don't want like crazy stories, like you're throwing someone in the bus, but any kind of like, you know, interesting things happen with bringing all these different cultures together, maybe around dinner or anything it may be. Um, I, I don't think there's any been any been anything around dinner. I think it's more about the, the should I say, the, the personal interactions between players. Um, because I, I remember a conversation that I had with, with Humanoid uh, uh, towards the start of the season where um, basically he was describing... Uh, I was trying to say, you know, do you have to be so harsh on your teammates? Um, like, you know, they, they 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 look up to you for leadership, and you know, in review, you're kind of being really mean to them. Uh, and he he was very shocked, okay, because he hmm. said in in Czech, you know, it's a very blunt language. You know, you just get straight to the point. You know, you don't have you don't really think about the the person you're interacting with. It's a case of this is how things are that's it i mean there's no point like don't waste time with other things and i felt i feel for for other members of the team especially at the start this bluntness uh was not always helpful um um but i think i, th I think that's been sort of the worst the only real um issue that we've had in terms of cultural I, I think that these players are all um are all quite empathetic players um and uh, generally are willing to look out for each other um and i think i think that kind of creates a good sort of team atmosphere. It's almost like a family. Um, and with, you know, with all, with, this is something where, you know, where, where lots of rookie players come up together at the same time. It's often something that you can gain where maybe, you know, uh, when you've been in the industry for a long time, uh, maybe uh, the bright eyed sort of, uh, how should I say, um, outlook that you come in maybe fades over time. You know, it, it, you get stuck in the grind, you know, you want to, uh, and, so, and sometimes, you know, bringing in fresh talent, fresh young talent, sometimes they all have the shared experience together uh, and they look out for each other as a result because they, they understand uh, what each other is going through. Whereas maybe in 2019, we had a roster with a, a large mix of people at different points in their careers. Chachi, I think, uh, was right at the end of his career, humanoid coming in in his first season, you know, Kobe, like a four-year veteran and things like this. Maybe, maybe there wasn't quite that shared experience together uh, that, that this roster has. So, so, so yeah, I, I would say that that, 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 that that is the main thing rather than sort of the cultural, cultural difference. Gotcha. So that's it's really interesting to hear. I've always been, uh, I've always wondered about that. Of course, I'm NA. So uh, while there is that, while there is that mix, it's not as quite as much of a grab bag as a lot of the European teams are. And so, uh, besides, you know, hearing that somebody an American can't talk to Korean, it's you know, it's it's interesting to hear it from the other point of view. So. Gotcha. Uh, I'm going to move on though. And, you know, we've talked about the team. We've talked about your coaching and whatnot, but I really do want to talk about you and where you got started and how you made it up, uh, you know, through the, through the ranks, you know, from the beginning, you know, did you go to college? How do, you know, how does somebody become a head coach of a, of an LCS team? I, th I think I have a very non-conventional uh, path to, to, to head coach position. So I think the first thing that I should say is I am dreadful at computer games. I, I mean, it, I, 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 they, they have like websites where you can track your, your sort of League of Legends skill. And I, I think I'm in like the 93rd percentile of players who play this game. I, I, as in like the, the bottom, the oh. bottom <laughs> seven, seven percent of people that play this. Basically, like I, I didn't play that, that many computer games in youth. Uh, I, I played, I played Magic the Gathering. Um, uh, I was a pro player for Magic the Gathering for, for a few years, had, had amongst the highest ratings in the world. But in terms of, you know, um, hand-eye coordination uh, for, for playing computer games, I'm really, really bad at playing computer games. Uh, so, so how did I get involved in esports? So basically, uh, I come from a, 
how should I say? My, um, I, I come from a, a diplomatic background. Uh, my, my, my parents, uh, my father uh, worked for the British government. My mother worked for the Red Cross. Uh, they met in New York at the UN. Um, and, you know, they, uh, and th that's how they got together. Uh, ironically, they, they, they met 30 years before in Malaysia uh, under different circumstances, but, but we, we met wow. uh, whilst, whilst they were both uh, involved in the UN. Um, so, so sort of from a young age, uh, I've been uh, brought up in a, in a, in a diplomatic background. It was, it was normal that I would go to university. I would study history or political science. You know, maybe, maybe I would, I would take a government job or bureaucratic job, or maybe I would, uh, you know, work for a think tank or, or go into academia or something. You know, th this is the respectable thing uh, for people in, in my family to do. Um, so uh, I did my undergraduate in, um, in the UK in history. Uh, and then for my master's, I decided I wanted to go to China because my specialization was going to be China political, um, political relations. Um, so I thought, okay, I study things from the European perspective. Now I want to study things from the Chinese perspective because it's just interesting to see how the people you are interacting with uh, on that level, to, to see how they've, been, how they've been taught in this area, to see the cultural differences and experience. Um, so I ended up um, at Fudan University in Shanghai. Um, I did my master's there. Uh, it's actually um, political science. I'm actually a master of law because in China, uh, it's not social <laughs> science. It's actually, so, so I'm a master of law. I'm not a lawyer uh, by, any, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But Does that um, mean you could but... be a lawyer in China? <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. I haven't, I haven't even considered the uh, considered the. Uh, Could you go the, open your own law firm and just be a lawyer? Because that would be that would just be that'd be hilarious. I mean, it'd be terrible for your clients, I, but it'd be hilarious. I mean, it would be terrible for my clients. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure I did. I I, I have that much experience in, in Chinese law, but anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm a master of law, but it's political science. It was political science uh, masters and advertisers such. Um, so I, I went to Fudan University uh, in China, and one of my interests uh, has always been teaching. Uh, so uh, when, even when I was at university in the UK, I did a, I, I made I took steps to um, to collect coaching badges. So I'm a qualified football coach, and I'm a qualified netball coach. Um, hmm. Back back in the old day, uh, when you're when you when you go to English school, uh, netball is played until the age of eleven as a mixed sport. Uh, and I used to be an insane netball player. Um, but then I got to the age of 12 and I was told, boys don't play netball. You're not allowed to play oh, netball wow. anymore. Uh, but back when I was, back when I was young, I, and then I switched into badminton instead. Um, but uh, but I, 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 I sort of when I was in university uh, in the UK doing my undergraduate, I started to collect coaching badges. Uh, it was just something I did for fun. Uh, but I figured, you know, if I'm going to invest this much time learning about football strategy and coaching theory, I may as well get something to show. For. Um, so um, I'm not qualified, you know, to to take over Barcelona tomorrow. But I have uh, I've been working towards my UEFA B license. Uh, for for people who don't really know what a UEFA B license is, it's um, it's like a it, it basically qualifies me to be to be an Complicated, uh, so sorry. Say that one more time. You you cut out when you said it qualifies you for. Uh, it, it it qualifies me to kind of be an assistant coach. Okay, uh, it's not really like. Um, uh, but I mean, it's a bit complicated for people who don't really follow soccer. But basically, you know, it it 
coaching, they're professional quality. Um, and when I, when I went to China, when I went to Fudan, this is something I chose to do in my spare time. You know, I, I, I thought, okay, how can I meet new people outside of my, you know, political science courses classroom? Okay, let's go and do some football coaching. Uh, let's go and do some, uh, let, let's contribute. Let's do some volunteer work, you know, uh, teaching sport to sort of, uh, migrant worker families and, and that kind of thing. Um, and the way I got involved in esports was, um, sort of they had a, an award ceremony for people who, contribution to to sort of local society um in china basically if you go to university and you score really highly you have really good grades or you contribute to society in some way they have a an award ceremony you can attend and um you get awarded a cash prize right <laughs> so if you can imagine it would be the same thing as being in a you know going to uh, a, a top uh, you know university in in, in say the US mm-hmm. and you get you get full A's in your first semester and you, you you score your ranking is like number one in your class and you just get given like forty thousand I mean uh, the equivalent when you wages right like it basically covers your tuition for the year sure um, so so as a result of that of that um, I was actually sit, uh, I attended a uh, there was a there was an award ceremony and a ceremonial dinner. Uh, and at that ceremonial dinner, I happened to bump into somebody who was linked to an organization. Um, that esports organization organization was a team called Catastrophic Cruel Memory. Uh, and the, the 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 guy said, "Why don't you come and talk to my Dota team? You know, maybe see what experience that your see see what um, your experience in sport coaching can contribute uh, to the success of this team." Um, and that's how I got involved. Uh, and when I saw how, how passionate, I mean, this was oof, years ago now. Um, it's, uh, but, but when I saw how passionate these, these, these people were uh, and, how much, uh, and how much, you know, winning meant to them, uh, it kind of opened my, my eyes to like a world that I'd never seen before. You know, I, I never thought computer gaming serious, honestly. It was just something, you know, you did uh, after, you know, uh, you come back from badminton practice, you go and play like Warcraft three or something like that, uh, <laughs> on your, on your PC at home. Again, I was really bad at all computer games. So I always lost, but it was okay. But, um, and it was something that you kind of did for fun. Uh, and I never really, it kind of opened my eyes to like a whole different world. Uh, of course, looking back now and, you know, putting things into context, uh, of course, what we talk about, what we think about for e- esports in the West, they don't really kind of take off until season four, season five. But it's easy to forget the sort of Eastern experience. At the time you had StarCraft, right? StarCraft was the mm-hmm. gold standard. And, you know, you had proper infrastructure around teams, you know, support staff, you know, training schedules and this kind of thing. Uh, and this had really begun to take off. Uh, using the Korean experience, China had begun to adopt things like this. The big esport in China wasn't StarCraft at the time. It was Dota. Um, and you know, Dota teams had coaches. I mean, I, I wouldn't say they were as qualified as they were today, but they had coaches, they had analysts. Uh, I, I don't know how, the quality of these people, but uh, I assume that some of them were, were, were pretty strong. And, you know, coaching, going into coaching as a career, something you could do without being a player. And I mean, this is something which has been interesting in a lot of the more influential coaches, you know, Aaron uh, at uh, World Elite and then later EDG, he came in basically as an analyst. He'd never been, he, I don't think he was ever a pro player. And, you know, he, he came in because he was interested in studying the theory about the game and not really interested in playing it. 
you look at somebody like Firefox, who was on iMay and uh, uh, I think Royal later on, um, and you know he again somebody who who called, who was never a player but was interested in the study of the theory of the game. And this is something which this was a career path that was open to you in those days uh, in China, but was never open to you in the West. Like I've spoken to players, I, I'm not going to call out any names, but I've spoken to uh, people whilst whilst attached to Asian teams. I've gone to international competitions, and I've spoken to some players. Uh, who are in support staff roles now uh, back in season two and talk to them about coaching and, and what they would say is, ha ha ha, that's very funny. Why would I need a coach? You know, I, mm. uh, there's, you know I'm high on the ladder. Who can teach me anything? Right. Uh, and the response I would always say is Roger Federer um, has a coach, right? Uh, right. And he, he, he has things to offer Roger, Roger Federer. But, uh, and he, he has things that he learns from a coach, even though this coach is probably not as good as him. At, at playing tennis, uh, but he provides a useful outside perspective. It's it's probably too too far gone at this point because uh, I'm not full time playing league or podcasting anymore. But this sounds like a similar <laughs> conversation we had with a lot of people because we had a couple people on the show that didn't really play, but they were really good at analyzing the game. And it seems like that's always the argument: like, how could you ever do that if you've never played? Well, I mean, strategy is not hard to learn. You know, I mean, it is hard to learn, but you know, you, you, I mean, it's about learning it and teaching it. I agree completely. And if you're a coach and you maintain a high ranking on the ladder, fine. Okay, if that comes naturally to you and doesn't take up that much time, good. Fair, fair, fair enough for you, right? But if you're a coach and you to play a lot, you need to play a lot to maintain like grandmaster or challenger, or you can only peak at diamond level. What's the point of playing the game, right? As mm -hmm. a maybe you can do it for fun, but for your job, it's much better to watch people play and like learn from those people and bring that information to your players. And I mean, as somebody who doesn't play league. This is something that I have to do every day. Right? I'm not somebody who's who's naturally gifted at computer. I have to spend my time studying. And I would say, in addition to scrims, every single day, I watch six to eight hours uh, minimum every single day of League of Legends being played by other people. Uh, it's, uh, and, you know, and this, this goes for maybe another six hours uh, working with my own team. And if this is required as somebody who's not naturally good at computer games to work with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of other coaches um, would would benefit maybe from from spending more time trying to trying to take this approach um, uh, rather than trying to improve their own rank and use their rank as a as a way to to justify uh, to to justify their skill as a coach. Because I mean, frankly, like you may be a top one thousand player in in Europe at League of Legends, but the the players you're working with are all top one hundred. So <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you're still going to be you're still going to be. I think there's a lot but to yeah, be said about that that macro play style of looking at it. But as you mentioned, you know, uh, you you played Magic, and there's a lot of strategy and a lot of deck building and whatnot, right? And synergies that goes along uh, with that. So, um, I have to imagine being able to come from the Magic world to be able to work with that kind of strategy to come into League of Legends and using that same kind of uh, you know problem solving skills and whatnot has to help quite out quite a bit. For for sure, I mean the. Uh, I so uh, I'll give you a brief overview of my, his of my history in League of Legends. Basically, uh, I worked for various teams uh, in what we would call sort of a, maybe a life coach or maybe an analyst role. Like not, not a full-time role, you know, just as, as a consultant who would come in, give information for a major tournament. You know, I'd provide scouting reports or, you know, I'd advise coaching staff or maybe owners on building infrastructure. Um, but I had a full-time job doing something else. Uh, I worked in uh, government relations for, for, a, uh, for a company called Pernod Ricard, who are a, uh, a French alcohol conglomerate. Uh, but I was based in Berlin. 
uh, uh, doing that as my as my profession. And this was something you know I just did in my off time because it was fun. Um, I mean, it paid. I got a little bit of money, but I mean, not not much. But I mean, it was it was basically my hobby uh, for for what I did in my spare time. Um, however, after four years uh, in China, um, I came back to uh, to uh, at the time. Uh, my my father had been uh, diagnosed with uh, motor motor neuron disease, uh, and basically the family needed my uh, emotional support uh, at the time. Uh, I I don't know if your if your uh, listeners know what motor neuron disease is, but it's a, it's a horrible it's a horrible disease. Um, I I came back at that time uh, and. Uh, I, I kind of thought, okay, you know, I'd had fun with league, I'd had fun with esports. You know, I, I, I did this for, for four years of my life. I'm going to do something else with my life, you know, because you can't have a career in this industry. I mean, uh, you know, back, back, back in the day, you know, the, these tournaments back in China would be held in like shopping malls, right? And you'd have a curtain, you know, you'd be in like a hall of a shopping mall next to the next to the shopping mall's fountain and there would be like some chairs put for people and, you know, curious onlookers would come and look around and there'd be maybe a curtain around you to block the light out. Or something. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, it's very, very fun. Very, very, very uh, uh, fun back in the day. But, but you know, uh, uh, I came back to Europe and actually as a result of my, uh, my history playing Magic the Gathering, um, I actually uh, got a job uh, during that year uh, as a uh, design and development consultant for for Hasbro. Um, so uh, Hasbro own Wizards of the Coast, who make Magic the Gathering, uh, and they were looking for, for I guess game game design consultants, not not game testing. Uh, it, it wasn't a game. It was a little bit. It was further. It was more complex than that. Um, but basically, I spent a year uh, doing that doing that job in in not really pay. I mean, paying attention to League of Legends casually. Uh, but not really involved, uh, not really involved in the industry, uh, but working sort of on game development, game design, uh, you know, th- sort of thinking about the systems for for how games function. Um, at the uh, at the end of the year, uh, unfortunately, uh, I, my father passed away uh, and uh, I, I was looking for something, you know, I needed a fresh start in my life. Uh, and at that point, uh, I got an offer um, from somebody who, who kind of said, come to Brazil, you know, come to Brazil, uh, come, come and come and coach in League of Legends uh, in Brazil. And at the time, you know, looking for an escape, this was something which was extremely appealing. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know how he'd, how he'd heard of me. I think maybe I wrote an article on Reddit or maybe he knew somebody from the Chinese scene who sort of gave me a good recommendation or something like this. Uh, and so I went to, so I went to Brazil. Um, this was sort of the first time I'd really worked full time as a as a coach, um, but it was it was a very very interesting time. The Brazilian Brazilian League of Legends is is fascinating. I mean, at the time it was Brazilian um, League of Legends was beginning to be shown on TV. Uh, obviously, in Brazil, football is number one. You can never like you, it doesn't matter how much you <laughs> like esports. Football is never going to over like esports is never going to overtake. Uh, <laughs> football in Brazil, not for another hundred years. Right. right. But but uh, the TV companies in Brazil at this time were starting to take an interest. A Counter Strike was the was the big sort of esports in in uh, Brazil at the time. There was a very successful Brazilian team. Steed later became S. But of course, Counter Strike is is not really very family friendly. You know, planting mm. bombs, shooting people, counter terrorist terrorists. Mm. So they were looking. Why not. <laughs> No, I, I can't imagine why not either. So they were looking for they were looking for another esport to put on TV, uh, and this esport was League of Legends. Uh, 
Uh, and the number two, from what I understand, you know, legal um, esports in Brazil has exploded in popularity. I mean, it was already at that time exploding in popularity. Uh, I mean, they could afford to hire. I mean, the head coach of of the team, it was INTC uh, in Brazil, was was an American, uh, and I was I was a Brit, you know, half 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 British, half Chinese. But you know, they they could afford to hire, you know, pay the wages of foreign support staff to come and help their team. So so I, I don't know exactly the financial situation in Brazil, but it was clearly exploded. Um, and volleyball was the number two, uh, was the number two most viewed thing. From from my understanding, from speaking to people at this time, you know, they were beginning to test putting uh, esports games on um, on terrestrial TV. Uh, and League of Legends uh, was beginning to get more viewers than the equivalent volleyball. And again, nothing compared to football, but for the number two, they were beginning to overtake. Um, uh, and a lot of investment went in. Like the CB Law has some of the most impressive. Um, uh, had a, uh, opening ceremonies of any event. Uh, and when Brazil hosted MSI, I mean, the opening ceremony that I saw for MSI was more impressive than anything I'd seen outside outside modern day China. Not, not season one to four, but like in the last host of worlds, they, they had some very impressive. Um, and um, yeah, so, so it was beginning to explode at the time. INTZ were a very strong team at the time, a team that always won in Brazil, but then failed when they went to international events. Uh, I think that there's a, uh, in, by Brazilian law, if enough people sign a petition, the government has to discuss it in, in <laughs> and enough people signed a petition online and the petition was ban INTZ from going to international events to oh, represent geez. Brazil. <laughs> Um, so, so I, I, it passed, it passed the minimum limit and I, I don't really know what happened because I, I'm not really fluent in Portuguese, um, but, but it gives you an idea of how much of what the backlash was because INTC had this reputation, they would win Brazil all the time and then they would choke internationally. And that year was the first time INTC qualified for, for the world championships and this world championships was in North America. Um, INTC got a group with champions of China at the time. Uh, and uh, I knew a lot about EDG because I'd worked with, well, against uh, their coaching staff, not really with, against their coaching staff a lot in the past. Uh, and I knew kind of how they thought about the game. I knew all the players because I, I mean, I, I had lots of people, I knew lots of people in the Chinese scene. And, you know, I would just watch, I would watch them play League of Legends because I wanted to see how my old players were doing, how my old, you know, contacts were doing uh, back in the scene. And so I, I knew China and I knew EDG really, really. And we went into the game, uh, and I remember that the Chinese players that we were playing against, EDG and us, were sitting, were sit, were sitting, waiting to go on stage. It was like the first game, I think, for both of us in the tournament. And the Chinese, because I understand a little bit of Chinese, because I lived in China, China for four for four years. Uh, and uh, the Chinese, like two two of the Chinese players on EDG, were bad mouthing, were bad mouthing INTZ. And I turned to them. And I just looked the guy in the eye. I'm not going to say who it was. And I said, woman waiting, right? Huh. We understand. We're, like, we understand. Like, what you're, the implication is <laughs> what you're saying, right? And, like, they, they, <laughs> they look really, really shocked at the time. Uh, I don't know if it had an impact, but obviously, INTZ went on stage that day, uh, smashed EDG, who were, like, one of the pre-tournament favorites, into the floor. Uh, and uh, you, you, the Brazilian fan base kind of, at that point, Forgave INTZ for everything that they'd that they'd failed in before. Um, of course, unfortunately, once you've beaten the number one team in China, you know all the press, all the international press starts to to 
to pay attention. Uh, one of our players, who was called Revolta, was in a show called Legends Rising, where they covered where they covered um, uh, a player's path throughout their entire career, uh, mm. throughout an entire year. Uh, you know, people like Faker, people like Uzi, like Clear Love had been featured on this, and Revolta was featured on it that year. Uh, and it brought a lot of attention that I think the players were not really used to. We cranked up the pressure, and we suddenly went overnight from being like an underdog who nobody ever heard of, nobody took seriously. And after we beat EDG, everything changed immediately. I don't think we were well equipped to deal with that change in perspective and change in pressure. Uh, and in the end, INTZ ended up ending that tournament 1-5. We only, the only win we got was against EDG. Uh, and to, th- to this day, it's one of my largest regrets that I couldn't really help uh, our players deal with that shift in environment and shift in pressure. Uh, and I, I mean, to be honest, I, I hadn't anticipated that happening. You know, I thought, oh, okay, EDG are going to win this group easily. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're going to fight for second with HQ and H2K. Uh, and then we got to the tournament, we got to the world's tournament, and we started winning. We started winning against Korean teams in scrims, winning against Chinese teams in scrims. Uh, we lost every single game we played against LMS teams, but that didn't matter because. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, but then the pressure starts to build, uh, and you really can't prepare. You really can't prepare your players. For- sure. Uh, I, I spent one more year in uh, Brazil afterwards. Uh, I really have a love for the Brazilian scene. Like I really appreciate the passion. Like in Brazilian League of Legends, if you get like if you do an insane outplay, you know, in Europe or in North America, you just sit at your PC and maybe say something. You say yeah, go or something like this to your team. Right? <laughs> in, Bra- in Brazil, you make an insane play, you stand up, you beat your chest, you roar into the crowd. You know, it's it's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever seen. Uh, Tier Wolf, uh, who was a player on splice on our splice academy team when he came used to do this all the time uh when he played on stage and like his teammates would just look at him and just stare at him and say you know what is this right but this kind of unbridled passion for the game is something i really love about latin that, that's so, my that's my kind of players right there that's what i can see i, I love that's why i like exactly. watching the like cs and and the sports yeah. you know, and stuff because they just they just explode and i love it it's the best. So I decided that that um, I, I planned originally to go to go to Brazil only for one, and then go back, leave League of Legends behind. You know, again, I've had my one year, uh, my gap year. Sort of, I'm I'm going to go and do something else with my life. But uh, I decided to stay for one more year, and the reason why I stayed for one more year is that the INTZ uh, owner at that time came to me, and he came and said, "Look, this is the situation Brazil is in now. Right? We've just we've just gone to Worlds. We had like." A decent performance at Worlds, but but you know Brazil has always struggled to make that next step up, right? And we need like outside expertise to help. And I want you to stay for ne- for the next year, and you can like help help create something good here, help contribute. This is something which really really appealed. Thing, uh, he his name is uh, Lucas Lucas Almeida, Lucas Simon Almeida, and basically he said to me, you know, if you come back next season, you you'll be the head coach of INTZ. But if you want to go and help another team, you could help another team. I mean, obviously, remember, the bulk of your responsibility is to INTZ. But, you know, we think that in order for the scene to flourish, it's not enough for INTZ to be good. There, there were two really top, maybe three top teams in Brazil at the time who were INTZ, Pain Gaming, and Keed. You know, it, if there's just one of us or if there's just three of us, it's not enough, right? You, you need the whole scene to get better so that 
it doesn't matter who goes to these international events. You know, if the top Brazilian team goes to an international event and just gets smashed, that doesn't help anybody. You know, and we can't get better because we're an isolated region. Uh, the Vietnamese teams have access to Korean scrims. You know, the Turkish teams have access to European scrims. Even Latin American North can scrim NA. I, I mean, that's a bit of a meme right now, but at that time, NA was was not looked down on so much. Um, you know, c- come and create something here. Really, like, I really appreciated uh, of that. And I mean, that's why I ended up staying uh, for second year in INTZ. Um, and we, we did help a lot of the other teams. Uh, unfortunately, uh, some of these other teams didn't help us back. We had a, we had an issue with one team sort of our semifinals uh, in the summer split. Uh, they booked scrims with us and they literally, uh, because they were afraid, uh, because we'd come first in the regular season and they'd come second. Uh, and they literally cancelled on us. Like we booked a, like three out of five days were their book for scrims. And in Brazil, you could only scrim Brazilian teams. And there'd be four teams left in the and Latin American South teams. Who Latin America South at the time was not a very strong region. Uh, and there was academy, but you know the difference between top teams in Brazil and academy teams in Brazil was at the time. Uh, and they basically kind of pulled the rug from out of us on the Monday of that week. Sort of we were supposed to scrim them in one and a half hours, and they basically said we cancel all the scrims with you. Uh, and uh, and that felt pretty bad. Uh, and I remember, sort of, we ended up losing that semifinal, and the other team, in fact, also lost their semifinal. So we were the two favorites going into semifinals, and both the teams lost uh, because they hadn't had. Good. Uh, and I remember, like, I was having a debrief with one of my players, and my player turned to me and said, "You know, what was it all for?" Because you know they, they knew that I'd been helping the other teams. You know, INTZ was still we, we came first in both regular seasons, right? But we we ended up losing. He came, he came to me and he turned to me and he said, what was, all, what was it all for? And I, I, I had to like face the reality at that point that what I'd done, like I let my players down, right? Because I had faith that, you know, we, we would contribute all of this to the, to the scene and we would get the same in return, right? Because when, mm-hmm. when INTC had gone to Worlds in season in six, I think it was, um, that we had no teams to scrim, right? And there was another org in Brazil that were called Pain Gaming. They were the number two org in Brazil. Uh, and Pain Gaming were on holiday. And they'd heard that we had no scrims. So their owner and their, their like team captain was like, okay, INTZ have no scrims. It matters for Brazil that INTZ play well at Worlds. We've just lost to you in playoffs. But what we're going to do is we're going to cancel our holiday and we're going to scrim you. Right? Hmm. We are going to like take time off and you tell us what you want to play and we're just going to play you. Right? Because it matters to us that Brazil did. did. That, that's what really had the impact on me to make me... This kind of... I kind of left Brazil a little bit disillusioned. Uh, after after that, um, and I, I, looking back, I don't really know if what what happened in season in that season was the right was the right. It kind of taught me a lot about. It, it, I kind of like lost a little bit of my naivety uh, in that season. And it was uh, then I came to then then, I, then at that point again, I told myself you're going to retire after one year. Yeah. Now it's you're going to retire after two years. <laughs> and where are we now? Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's now. Three more years later. Um, but what happened after after that is INTZ's performances over those times piqued people's interest. And I received I received some offers from China. I received some offers from North America. I received some offers from Europe. And uh, I, I was thinking about, you know, uh, I'd, I'd stopped my PhD halfway. <laughs> uh, I was doing a part-time PhD back when I was in the UK on uh, EU-China political relations. Um, and... 
I was like, I've got to go back to Europe. I'm going to finish this PhD. I've put it on hold for too long. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to go and finish it. And then I'm going to be a productive member of society. Um, not to say that eSports a productive member of society. Um, but um, at that time, uh, I, I, I interviewed with many teams. Uh, and uh, Marty, who was the owner of Splice, came to me. And basically what Marty said, you know, I, I talked with lots of teams and they asked, you know, the general question that you would expect any org to ask. But the thing, the thing that re- really made Splice stand out to me over the other teams was Marty came to me and asked all the normal questions. But then he asked me at the end of the interview, what do you think we should have asked you? Okay, or, you know, you have a lot of experience in esports, understand how to build organizations. What, what would you recommend an org like us? Uh, and that was not anything that I'd heard from, from any of the other orgs that I'd interviewed with. You know, it was always very formal job process. They asked a lot of questions. Some of them were, were good questions. Some of them were not so good questions, you know, like really simplistic questions, uh, trying to like ascertain my knowledge of League of Legends. Right? And, you know, I've worked in League of Legends. I'd been coaching or an analyst or a consultant for six years at this point. And some of the questions that I, that I was asked were, uh, I mean, it, it, it blows my mind, some of the stuff. <laughs> but, but, but here was a team, Splice, who understood what I could contribute both inside the game and outside of the game. And that's why I ended up joining Splice over, over the other. I mean, I took, I think I, I took a 50% pay cut uh, versus what I could have earned maybe if I'd gone to China. Uh, although I will say I gained a, a, a very large pay rise considering compared to what I would have got if I'd gone back to academia. Sure. <laughs> so, I mean, I, 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 like, I mean, that was in, but, you know, I took like a 40% pay cut. Uh, and yeah, that that that's the story so far. I've been on Slice now for two years. Um, been on Mad Lions. Mad Lions being the continuation mm-hmm. uh, of Splice uh, now for one year. Um, true to true to his word, uh, Marty uh, uh, basically gave a lot of freedom um, to to me uh, to to help build things uh, uh, as as I as I saw as I saw fit. Which that hands off approach it may seem like something which is standard, but from what I've seen about about things in in that's not the standard at all um and you know we brought up a lot of players through splice uh, the first season on splice uh, i splice had a roster which if you look at it on paper now is an insane roster it had uh wonder uh who obviously on g2 cold who at the time was considered one of the best junglers in europe uh sen cooks come off a rough split but was considered in his prime you know one of the best mid laners in europe up there with perks actually when perks and sen cooks came into the league People who thought Senkux was was better than Perks at the time. Uh, they had Kobe, who is obviously on TSM uh, for now, uh, and uh, and Mickey, obviously on G two, world finalist on G two. And I I've been told because I didn't know anything about the European ecosystem. I was told, oh, you know, these guys are all going to stay together, and it's going to be really good, and you're going to have this roster. And I came back to Europe, and uh, they didn't want to stay together. They didn't. <laughs> oh man, they. I, I got told by three different players under no circumstances are us as a five going to stay together next season. We hate, like, you know, not that we hate each other, but, you know, we had, like, the mutual understanding that we weren't getting the best out of each other uh, working in the way that we are now, I think was the, <laughs> was the wow. politically correct response. So, so the, the roster in those days for Spice was, was very, very, like, built together at the last minute. Um, but uh, the thing that, that Splice did allow was you know, coaching staff. Uh, uh, we signed Mac and Duke, who at the time were uh, were two coaches who 
not really known. I mean, I, I remember I came to Europe and I interviewed 83 different for the coaching position. Uh, like, you know, I, I, and this is one of my policies to t today. Like if you, if you are, um, if you think that you, you have something to offer to the esports scene, often if there's a glass ceiling, right? And some really talented people can't break through. Um, and, you know, the, I'll, I'll interview pretty much anybody. Uh, and normally it's like a two and a half hour interview process. There's one interview on game knowledge, one interview on sort of coaching philosophy, and then maybe like a case study. So how would you coach this to your players? You know, I, I just say, here's 15 minutes of a game. Go go away and study it. Uh, and, you know, in two days when we do our interview, we're going to talk about this. Hmm. Um, and yeah, we interviewed 83 people for, for two hours. You know, some of the interviews were done after half an hour. Like you could tell if, if somebody. Um, but but the two people that ended up being chosen were, were Mac and Duke. And at the time, to be honest, Mac and Duke were not very good. Uh, we're not very knowledgeable coaches, but they had, <laughs> you know, something smart. Like they had intelligence, right? Uh, and a willingness to work hard. And they developed really, really quickly. Uh, Duke took over. So at the end of that first split, so the first split was really, really rough. But by the second split, like Mac and Duke were already beginning to take on lots of responsibility. Uh, Splice do a slight, Splice and now Mad Lions do a slightly weird had a slightly weird coaching structure. Um, it kind of would take a long time to get into here, but basically you don't, all, sometimes we rotate who is leading. And although I was on head, the head coach and on stage, sometimes Duke would lead scrims. For sometimes, uh, and I would do some more one-to-one -one work with somebody. Sometimes Mac would lead scrims. Uh, hmm. And I mean, you could see the development of these players, right? Duke took Splice, well, I mean, was the head coach uh, of Splice uh, when they made their quarterfinals run at Worlds. Uh, and is now a head coach on Vitality. Vitality had a rough season this this, but they had visa issues. I mean, it's uh, mm -hmm. like uh, he's a good coach, right? Like it, it, Vitality may have come bottom, but like he's a good he'll, I have no doubt. And obviously, Mac is now coach of the split in his first uh, working uh, working for for Madlands. Uh, and I kind of went into we have a, a pretty similar um, coaching structure to, to Asian teams, right? Where you have like a head coach. Um, who is who deals with a lot of things outside of the game, and then you have a strategic coach uh, who who leads scrims, who like leads the team on stage, and obviously the head coach. Head coach is often in a more mental role, right? Like you you mm -hmm. tend to be you tend to go through the strategic coach and then get promoted up to head coach. So you often have some amount of knowledge, and I like to think that I helped contribute something to to back in Duke's time when they were leading scrims and leading the team. Of course, uh, by LEC regulations, we have to call the person who who leads the stage the head coach. So, right. I guess I'm the head head coach. <laughs> I, I don't really know how, how we would describe the that. coach, the coaching lead, the the lead uh, of the, the coaches coach, or something. The, co yeah. the coaching leader, yeah, something like this. But but to be clear, like Duke was leading the scrim last year with a little bit. Sometimes Mac would lead scrims, or Dick. Sometimes I would lead scrims. Uh, and this year, it's Mac. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I would do it, but but I'd say Mac leads like ninety percent of the scrim, ninety five percent of the scrim. Both of these people developed because Splice said, "Go out inside who you think who has potential," uh, and you know if you think we need we should invest in coaching staff, this is what we're going to do. Um, and you know over time they allowed us to bring in rookies. At the time, Zerxay uh, was considered a super inconsistent job. A good two years on Splice. Niski at the time was. Oh, I mean, Niski's smashing it on Cloud9 now, but like Niski, Niski when he joined Splice was was not he was considered like a player who'd failed in North America already and had just come back to Europe. And but you know you could you you spent like five minutes talking to this guy and it was obvious that you know 
even if he wasn't there now, he would get there and he would like sacrifice to get there. And Niski is a very special player. Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad he's finding success in North America. Uh, so, so yeah. Uh, and, you know, Splice and, you know, they also, there was the, we were allowed now to bring in, to bring in a lot of rookies. Um, but I, I would say when I came to Europe, the, this roster here that we have now could not have been built two years ago. For sure, because I didn't know, like, we didn't know any of the rookies. Last year, even last year, would have been a bit hard. But this roster is like the perfect storm. You know, it's two years now of scouting. Uh, you know, I, I have Mac and I have Alva Arenea, who is our academy head coach, who I would say are two of the top five scouts in Europe, right? Like, uh, so it's, this is a roster where we have a lot of scouting talent. Uh, and, you know, these are players that we, that we recognize. And, and it, it seems to have all come together. Of course, Spring Split would have been for nothing if, if we can't qualify for Worlds. Um, but this is this is where you know this building of infrastructure from scratch is something that I'll, I'll always be grateful to to Splice and to Madlands for for allowing this 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 to be built this kind of culture that we have uh, to up from from the ground. So. Wow, you know, uh, <laughs> I had I had a hundred questions for you, and I and just letting you <laughs> and letting you go, you've you've answered every single one of them. It's phenomenal. I love it. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, you've had you've had quite the the storied career. You've had quite the you know the journey to where you are, and um, I think I'm appreciative for you coming on here and telling me everything. Um, it's it's not easy to you know just kind of open up and just start going on about your history. Uh, so you know, thank you for that. Uh, no, thank you very much for 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 having the interest to to, to ask me about it. So, <laughs> so uh, I I think you know I, I asked you about the teams in the beginning. I asked you about your career, and really we covered all the the topics that I have at, at the end here to kind of wrap this up. Um, do you have any advice for anybody who may be considering becoming a coach or maybe moving on to the esports industry? Um, I know you talked about the glass ceiling and whatnot a, a bit earlier, but you know, it, it, any kind of word of encouragement for anybody out there who wants to get somewhere like where you're at? I mean, I, th I think the big thing to remember is that as esports professionalizes, and we're now coming into a more professional phase compared to compared to what's happened in previous seasons, opportunity for people to come different areas and different specializations has improved. Uh, and we're very lucky in Europe right now because I think Europe at the moment has the best feeder system in the world. There, there's academy leagues in other regions, but we have EU Masters, which at the time of this uh, podcast is going on right now. And there's opportunities, you know, e European regional leagues and through EU Masters to get experience, to get uh, on the coaching side, to get experience, to build your CV, to 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 make contacts um and i think that even if you're from a region like brazil even if you're from a region like oceania from japan or something like this and you know you've reached the top of your profession in in sort of an emerging region coming to europe in this kind of an environment is a real testing ground and it's a really really good place to try to to try to advance your career right now um all i would say as well is you know uh if you're willing to to send me a portfolio of your work uh you're willing to uh Write a write a a professional CV. Uh, uh, I'm willing to talk. Okay, and I, I mean, I found a lot of very interesting people uh, through esports from that. And you know, sometimes I know that getting in touch with people it can be intimidating. And you know, if you don't know anybody, it it can be tough to take a first step. But what I say is that you know, at least I can say on my side. Uh, if you've got an interesting story or you've got some, you've got like an interesting amount of experience, I'm always interested to find out more. Uh, and yeah, that, that, that's all I would add. So, awesome. uh, <laughs> well, to, to piggyback on that, if it's, uh, 
if it's any help for anybody out there, don't don't feel afraid to reach out because we're all just people. Uh, Peter had to he, he had to deal with me here today as we kept moving our time. Around. And, you know, and, and the same thing. I felt I felt bad. I do the same thing to Till. I don't know what it is about the Mad Lions organization and me trying to get you guys on here, but every time I do, I have to move it around. But I, I, either way, yeah, we're all just people, right? So just reach out to anybody and um and, and don't be. I guess be don't be afraid to fail is the other one. Uh, I, I've sent out I sent out 25 emails before I got a hold of you <laughs> for interviews. <laughs> I've heard back from one person. <laughs> so uh, either way, uh, Peter, I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for having me. Um... Thanks for listening to my new interview series brought to you by the Trinity Force Network. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash T Force Network. If you have a question or a comment, you can drop me a line at adamc at trinityforcepodcast.com. For everything else, please check me out on trinityforcenetwork.com or subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Until next time, thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy all the shows that Trinity Force Network has to offer.